0: This is Great Day Nation presented by BetMGM. I'm your host, Morton
1: Anderson. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Friespops. Tommy, what do we have this week? Morton, thanks as always for having me. And week six of the NFL regular season is upon us. We have one of the most influential people in the history of the NFL joining us on the podcast this week. The first black head coach inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Super Bowl champion Tony Dungy joins us on the show. Then we'll get into Morton's Fast Five, where we'll give you our picks for the five biggest matchups of the NFL weekend. And finally, we'll close things out with Morton's game winner. But before we get into all of that, let's get to the opening kick. Morton Anderson kicks off,
2: and it's a beauty through the end zone. And Morton Anderson has been doing that with regularity this season. And
0: throughout his illustrious career. What I'm about to share with you has nothing to do with football. However, it does speak to the power of leveraging celebritism, fame, and a social conscience. Thousands of athletes give back in their communities in a myriad of ways. Some are better than others, and some more authentically executed than others. But they do it because it matters, and they can make a difference. When we give more than we take, there's a surplus of energy and goodwill that the world banks for the betterment of all of us. We must choose carefully and with purpose. Authentic, intentional giving is paramount. Through the years, our foundation has raised millions for a variety of charities. This week is our flagship fundraiser. Special Teams for Special Ops is our annual dinner auction and golf event to benefit the special operation community. The pandemic delayed us twice, but we're ready and willing with open hearts to show up and deliver a top shelf experience for everyone. Our soldiers deserve it. Their families deserve it. Our country needs it. We'll have the red carpet and photos, champagne toast, and dog tags for every dinner guest. Casino games, silent auction items will greet everyone. and We'll have Nashville recording artist Seth Michael playing and a DJ to follow. There'll be some cool live auction items, too. Rolling Stones tickets anywhere straight from the band. Alligator hunt in Louisiana. Parachute jump with a green beret. You get the idea. A fun night with a serious undertone will honor the 13 US soldiers killed in Kabul recently during the airlifts out of Afghanistan. Their bios will be displayed on a shot table where guests may donate, drink, and keep a commemorative shot class in their honor. All for one reason, raise funds needed to assist our military heroes and their families. Bring in awareness to the fact that our special operators are invaluable, appreciated, and never forgotten. Whatever you choose to support, do it, and do it with gusto and a strong intention. You don't have to be a world-class athlete to make a difference. You just have to believe and act. The power of one multiplied what a lot, a little is. We believe that what you give will grow and what you keep will perish. For more information and to give, please visit
1: SpecialTeamsForSpecialOps.com. That's a great message, Morton, and I'm pumped for you to finally get to have this event this year. I know you guys have had to push it a bunch of times because mm. of COVID, and uh, yeah. I know you've been looking forward to it, so it's going to be a great weekend for you guys.
0: Thank you, Tom, for saying that. It's been frustrating to have to keep you know, kicking the can down the street and realize that you could be raising valuable funds for these much-deserving warriors and their families, so we're looking to to have just a fantastic weekend uh, with those guys and with all of our supporters, our corporate supporters, friends, neighbors, and, and just
1: bring it all together, one big happy family. Before we get into your conversation with Tony Dungy, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Bet MGM. A really cool promotion going on right now for new players: bet ten dollars to win two hundred dollars. If your team scores a touchdown, bet on any NFL money line. And if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the official sportsbook of Great Dane Nation. All right, let's get to that conversation with Tony Dungy. All right, man, let's kick it.
0: Tony Dungy's career has included several notable firsts. Among them, Dungy is the first head coach to defeat all 32 NFL teams. He's also the youngest assistant coach at age 25 and the youngest coordinator at age 28 in NFL history. Dungey was the first African-American head coach to win the Super Bowl. Dungey also became the sixth man to play in a Super Bowl and be the head coach of a Super Bowl team. After the win in Super Bowl XLI, Dungey became the third man to win Super Bowls, both as a player and a head coach following Ditka and Flores. And as a man, what can I tell you? Tony Dungy is a giant. His faith, compassion, and wisdom has touched many, and today he continues to mentor, teach, and inspire wherever he goes. I cannot wait any longer to talk to my HOF brother, Tony Dungy. Welcome to Great
2: Dane Nation, my friend. Thank you, and it's uh, wonderful to be an honorary Great Dane for at least one day. So thank you for (laughs) having me, Morton.
0: Your journey is uh, is unique, and I've been reading your book, Uncommon, um, Finding Your Path to Significance. And a couple of things strike me in, in the book that you uh, co-wrote. Number one, your faith and your faith journey. That is at the core of everything you do and everything you talk about and everything you, you teach to others. And then it is this uh, embracing of the uniqueness of the human spirit that carries me through this book, The Struggles you know, that we have had in this country, your very authentic view of America and its struggles, whether it's racism or in the workplace, uh, off the field. And I just feel like you've been uh, an authentic voice uh, for all of us in helping us understand this in a logical way, without being radical, without being um, polarizing your actions speak louder than words. You walk the walk, you talk the talk. Uh, Tony, how am I doing so far? Uh,
2: Well, you're certainly complimentary and I appreciate it Morton. I would have to give credit to my parents. Uh, I grew up in a little small industrial town in Michigan. My parents were teachers, uh, but my mom actually taught the Sunday school class. And she instilled in us from a very early age it's not what you do it's how you do it it's who you live for and that the lord put us here on earth to serve other people and to you know be ambassadors for him so i kind of looked at my whole life like that Uh, i enjoyed my football career it's been awesome but i I felt like it had a larger purpose and uh, my mother's favorite verse in the bible Uh, was one that says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And as you know, uh, you can look at a lot of people in the National Football League that that may have happened to. They got all the material blessings, all the accolades, uh, all the honors, but really weren't happy with life. And uh, for me, I, I, I can say that because of the way my parents raised me, living life was much more important and much more fun than just playing football. That's very inspirational to me,
0: and I continue down that journey. And I'm inspired by you know super Christians like you. I know we're not supposed to say that, but I'm a baby Christian probably. So <laughs> I, I, I'm
2: just very uh, thankful for people like you, strong people, uh, mentors in my life. Well, Morton, um, if I could tell you what what happened to me, you know, I'm raised in this type of home, going to church with with my parents, and being read the Bible, reading the Bible myself, understanding it. But when I was in middle school, high school and college, I have to say that was very secondary to me. I wanted to be a good athlete. I wanted to be a good student. I wanted to graduate. I think people that knew me at that time would say, well, yeah, nice guy. uh, But they certainly wouldn't have said Christian. Well, I ended up going to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, as a rookie player, shifting from quarterback to defensive back. In the first meeting, our, our coach Chuck Knoll stands up in the first meeting and he says, welcome to the National Football League. Uh, you guys are now being paid to play football. So it's your profession now. But don't make football your life. If you make football your whole life, you're going to be making a big mistake. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is a coach who's won two Super Bowls already. I'm expecting to hear about how to be great football players. And he says, don't make it your whole life. Well, the next thing that happened for me he assigned me a roommate by the name of Donnie Schell. And uh, he said, you don't know anything about defense. Donnie's a defensive back. He's going to teach you. Watch him do everything he does. Well, that was the biggest moment in my life and probably the turnaround moment for me, Morton, because Donnie Schell was the most fired up Christian athlete I had ever been around. So I'm now in training camp in the room with him, roommates on the road, I'm watching him. And he just exemplified what, Jesus is all about. And that turned me in from a 21-year-old who knew about it, to seeing what it really looks like. And we had 10 or 12 guys on the team who were strong, strong believers, uh, invited me to the Bible studies, the chapel services, but watching them more than what I heard, watching them really impacted my life.
0: You mentioned your parents, uh, your dad actually was part of the Tuskegee Airmen, which I think that, I find that very cool. I have to say that when I read that, I was like, wow, you know, because I've heard about these guys, right? <laughs> so besides, you know, besides Chuck Knoll and Denny Green, which you write up in your book, who were like mentors to you and who
2: influenced you greatly, I, I would imagine your father was that as well. He really was. Uh, he He grew up in an era... As you talk about our country, it wasn't perfect. And he grew up in an era of segregation, yeah. um, but he was determined to uh, let education and let his morals, you know, be, be in front of everything that he did. Yeah. So uh, at 18 years old, he enlisted in the service. He wanted to fight in World War II and help our country. Uh, at that time, the normal, regular Air Force was not taking African-Americans. So he went to Tuskegee, Alabama and was with this little group of guys called the Tuskegee Airmen. And mm-hmm. when the war ended, he went back to the University of Michigan, he got his degree and he wanted to teach and just help people grow, help young people grow. Mm-hmm. So his first job was in Washington D.C. area in Alexandria, Virginia, mm-hmm. and this is right outside the Capitol. He's fought in World War II, he's been with the Tuskegee Airmen and he can't teach in an integrated school, unbelievable. and he gets on the bus to go to the all-black school that he was assigned to teach at, and he can't sit in a regular seat in the bus. And so my dad told me that, you know, things aren't always fair, but what are you going to do to make things better? You can't complain. You got to try to make things better. So he walked every day to work, and he said, I taught in this all-black high school, and I wanted to make sure those students knew just as much about science as anybody in any other school, that's what I could do to make it better. And I was like, Dad, wouldn't that make you bitter that you fought for our country and then you you can't even teach where you wanna teach, you can't go where you wanna go, you can't ride the buses you wanna ride? And he said, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I had to look at how I was gonna make things better. And that's what he always taught me, Morton, and what I always looked at in, in any situation. Don't complain, think about what I can do to help things and make it better. And I learned that from my dad and he was a, a tremendous, tremendous role model for me. Powerful words, Tony.
0: Um, what would you tell a young American, African-American coach coming up today in the environment that we have 2021? What would you suggest besides being, we had besides so grace much
2: and authenticity? Yeah. Opportunity to make things better. And we have so much opportunity to direct people in the right way. We have so much opportunity to right wrongs and to to create a great environment for all of us. And that's what I would be after. That's what I would want to do. And that's what I encourage men to do. Hey, let's get our young people going in the right direction. And yes, everything is not perfect, but we have the chance to make it better. We have the chance to influence. And I think that's what God would want us to do. Yeah, you've done that through the All
0: Pro Dads program, which... I have participated in quite a bit with my two sons uh, when they went through you know the the lower schools, uh, now they're high school and college I think ex, <laughs> your, your your program is high in high school anyway, but um uh, really good program uh, again, and teaches uh, all the things that you and I have been talking about. Do you think the fact that you were, and I you know also read this a little bit about you that it might have hurt you in a couple of interviews because you were so authentic and true and you weren't gonna say, you knew in the interview process what they wanted to hear, but
2: you just couldn't say it. Do you know where I'm going with this? I, I do. And I, I did have to be honest. I, I believe I did lose some jobs early on. There was questions about me. And a lot of people said, well, it, it's racial. If he were white, he would have a head coaching job. You know, African-American, there's there's racism. But for me, Morton, it was more, I, I think, people not really understanding who I, I was, wondering if my personality was going to click with what they thought a head coach should be. And I, I had interviews where I told the, the owners, I, I'm not going to scream at the players. I'm not going to use profanity. I'm not going to demean people. I'm going to get it across to them like my dad got it across to me, uh, like Coach Noel got it across to me. I'm going to develop this bond, and we're going to go from there. And there are people who didn't think that would work. And people, yeah. uh, I had one owner you know, tell me, hey, i paid a lot for this franchise, and I want to win a Super Bowl is this going to be the most important thing to you if you get this job? And, and I said, well, I, I believe I'll deliver you a Super Bowl, but I have to tell you, it's not going to be the most important thing in my life. It's going to come way below my family and community issues and other things. And I didn't get that job. Uh, yeah. But but you're right. I couldn't, with good conscience, just say something that I knew he wanted to hear that wasn't true. I was going to represent the Lord. That was important for me. I was going to have a great family. Unfortunately. Working for Denny Green, I saw that that could be done. Working for Chuck Knoll, I saw that that could be done. So I wasn't going to sleep in the office, and I wasn't going to just pour 24-7 into the job. But I, I felt very confident that I would deliver a, a winning program.
0: Bump Phillips uh, drafted me in 1982 in the fourth round. He said something I'll never forget. He said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And I think that's kind of where you're going here with uh, the coach player relationship is you may get away with it once, but you're going to suffer. If it happens again, it becomes a pattern. I'm going to give you grace. However, comma, we're going to, we're going we're
2: gonna to have a talk. If this becomes a, a habit, I'm, a, am I accurate? You, you are. And I, I remember my first meeting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, as the head coach. I came in 1996. We'd had 13 straight losing seasons, had a lot of people who were used to losing and they, Everybody thought they were not disciplined, and that's what they needed, and they needed this tough guy. Well, I came in, and I told them, I said, hey, I'm a Christian. This is the way I coach. I'm going to coach you with respect. Uh, I'm not going to yell and demean at you. Now, a lot of people tell me, I need to do that, that you're not going to play well unless I yell and scream and curse at you. So how many guys in this room need a coach to yell and scream and curse at you to make you play your best? And I waited, and nobody raised their hand. (laughs) And so I said, "Okay, I I think we're on the same page. We're going to be okay. But if, just in case, if you begin to feel like you need that, if you want somebody to yell and curse at you, come see me, and I'll trade you to somebody who's going to do that. We aren't going to do that here, but I can put you somewhere where they'll do that. And uh, over 13 years, no one ever came to my office and said, please trade me to a coach that's going to scream at me.
0: (laughs) No, it's not going to (laughs) happen. Hey, um, you're doing a great job on uh, on Sunday night uh, football. It's a lot of fun to watch, and you got a you got a new teammate there, and Drew Brees. What is it like being in the studio and sharing that with Drew, who's got so much knowledge, obviously, and so do you. But he's you were a defensive coach. Let's face it, that's where you made your buddy, right? Defensive yes, back, sir. defensive backs coach, and then head coach from there. What's it like with Drew? Does it remind you of sitting in a film session with maybe
2: with Peyton Manning? It really has been interesting. Uh, I was 12 years with Rodney Harrison, and we, we had a great partnership. But we were. We kind of thought the same way. We both thought defensively. Well, now Drew coming in, he sees things from the, the other side of the ball, and he's looking at what the offense is doing and how the, the quarterback and the offensive coordinator are scheming things. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun to help him kind of learn the broadcast business and how to get his point across so so fans can understand it. But it's also helped me kind of look at things from an offensive standpoint or from offensive thinking. So uh, it's been refreshing and he is a great guy. I mean, he has been a tremendous teammate already uh, and and he's going to just get better and better. What do you think about Peyton and Eli's Monday night uh, clownery there? I mean, I
0: think it's funny. I think, um, you know, they bounce each other. I don't know if you watched any of it uh, on Monday night. I I kind of have a lot of fun. What do you think about it?
2: I have, and I think there's a segment of our country that really is going to enjoy this. That, yeah. that You know, it's almost like sitting at a sports bar and watching the game with your buddies. And you're watching the game, but you're talking about other things, you see things and and you're just bouncing things off each other. And I think there's people that would love to watch a game like that. And they are very good when there's a critical play to break it down and say, here's what happened. But a lot of times they're just talking and talking through the game and enjoying the evening out. So I, I think it's gonna catch on, I really do.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun, good personalities. Uh, coach, let's just go – I'm not going to go chronologically about your coaching career. I mean, obviously, you you, you were a player at the University of Minnesota, and I think that's where the, the coach said at the time – I don't remember his name, but he said, I'm looking for uncommon people. You know, and that's kind of where it started. That's what stuck with you, that when you went through your coaching uh, life and also going through drafts and free agencies and looking for players and looking for that uncommon man yeah. – and you see so much upside in, what is it that you exactly look for?
2: Well, that that really did develop from my college coach, Cal Stahl, and my Stahl. Uh, NFL coach, Chuck Knoll. Coach mm-hmm. Stahl, when I was a freshman, he said, hey, I'm looking for uncommon people. We want to win a championship. You can't be average. You can't be satisfied with being average. I need that special person. And he said, there's two ways you can be special. You can be uncommon. Either God gives you a talent that's so... Off the chart, nobody else has it. Yeah. Or you can have a drive and a desire to do the things that everybody else could do, but most people won't. And as soon as he said that, I said, well, that, that's me right there. If it's just effort and energy, determination, study, working hard, I can do that. That's the way I'm going to be uncommon. And Coach Knowles said it the same way. When I played for him and got on his coaching staff, he, uh, he told me the, the very first scouting trip I ever took He sent me out. He gave me my list of schools and my list of players. And he said, now, don't take a tape measure, don't take a stopwatch, and don't listen to any other scouts out there on the road. Look at the players. Let your eyes tell you. And then also, are they going to be Pittsburgh Steelers? Are they going to be the type of guys that we want on our team? That's what I'm looking for. Guys that you see talent and you know in your heart they're going to be good teammates. And Mm. that was the formula I I stuck with. Uncommon people with great work ethic, guys that were talented enough, yes, but guys who really wanted to be great and wanted to be together. So uh, in my my career, we drafted a lot of guys who I think the rest of the NFL would consider undersized or small or maybe not fast enough or didn't have all the physical skills. But we drafted a lot of great young men who were – fantastic teammates and great leaders, and they turned out really well for us.
0: I talk a lot about uh, when personal excellence, personal improvement happens the most, it's when your back's against the wall. It's not when your hands are above your head, but it's in, in that, you know, to use a military frame, the world of suck. That could be basic training for an enlisted man or woman, or it can be uh, two-a-days, right? And back in the day, six weeks of two-a-days with full pass. You it remember no-
2: it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm a kicker coach, so it was uh, it was the world of soccer, let's face it. My point is this. When you get to Tampa, they weren't very good. Uh, they had a history of losing they really had a hadn't had a lot of success and you take this philosophy now that Chuck Knoll has installed in you and and your college coach has installed in it and you look for uncommon people and you see John Lynch you see Derek Brooks you see Warren Sapp and you know that you got something here and then you install this Tampa 2 defense, which was really just a, a variant of what was happening in Pittsburgh, I believe. So take me through Tampa. Take me through that struggle of, of changing that culture. I'm really interested in more in your philosophy about changing a culture, because
2: that's what you had to do. It, it was. And there were some talented guys there. I was at Minnesota, an assistant with the Vikings at the time. We played Tampa twice a year. And we'd have dogfights with them. And I knew their personnel. I knew they had good players there, but Mm -hmm. they had a defeatist attitude. And so coming there to Tampa, that was my whole... Hold on,
0: hold on. What do you mean mean by defeatist attitude?
2: That, uh, you know, a lot of the players felt like we aren't going to win anyway. So I might as well make it the best I can. If I want to get a good contract, I need to catch so many passes or I need to make so many tackles because we aren't going to go to the playoffs. So why mm. worry about team goals? Mm. Uh, I, I better just make sure my individual career goes well. And then you'd have other people who would say, I just I can't wait to get out of here. I've, I've got three years because they drafted me. But as soon as uh, my contract is up, I'm going to go somewhere else. So we had to try to get this to be a place where people wanted to come. And mm. we had to get people to look at it through team eyes. So again, in my, my first meeting, I talked to the guys about doing the little things right, about being uncommon, about off the field, what we're going to do, and making the community a better place to live, and pulling together. And I, I gave this 45-minute speech about how we're going to be. And I'll never forget, Derek Brooks came into my office afterwards, and he said, Coach, I was a rookie last year. We lost more games in one year than I lost in my whole life. And you didn't say anything about winning how are we going to win? And I said, Derek, it was all about winning. That is how we're going to win. We're going to win as a team. We're going to win with good people. We're going to win with togetherness. And you've got to be a leader in that regard. And Mm -hmm. I called John Lynch and Warren Sapp and Hardy Nickerson and Paul Gruber, some of the veterans we'd had there for a while. How can we pull this together? And we've got to get everybody on the same page. And we we talked about changing the attitude. And uh, I, I used to talk three times a week about what we're going to do in the community, what we're going to do in the off season, what we're going to do as people to make Tampa a better place to live. And that's some of the, the greatest pride that I have, Morton, in, in these guys now. Derek Brooks, who went from that first meeting oh yeah, to, to say, okay, I, I grasp what you're saying. Well, mm-hmm. 20 years later, he's got a charter high school yeah. here in Tampa. Yes, he does. And Warwick Dunn, you know the story. He's had 175 single moms that he's Uh, helped uh, with with houses, and John Lynch scholarships for academically great students who might not be great athletes, and Mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. But those guys, they bought into it. Yes, we're going to win, but we're going to win off the field as well. And uh, I'm really, really proud of them for that.
0: And now I have to address the elephant in the room. Uh, you, You win a lot of games in Tampa. But you don't really have success in the playoffs, and you fi- you finally get fired. Actually, a guy who's winning more games than he's losing, and you get you get fired. Um, what was it in Tampa Bay? Do you think, and did you take anything from that experience of falling a little bit short in the playoffs? Did you take anything with you because you go to the Colts and you have success, and you know you had players there too. Uh, you had players both places. But what was it in Tampa Bay that was
2: lacking, or that you know maybe just. Didn't click. Well, the disappointing thing is, I, I think we we lost sight of our goals uh, in Tampa. How when do you I mean? I got there, um, as I mentioned, thirteen straight losing seasons. We were yeah. averaging maybe thirty thousand fans a game at the at the games. Tampa football was kind of an afterthought, and I said, yeah. "Hey, we're gonna get to the point where we're contenders every year. We're gonna be relevant. We're gonna be a team that no one wants to play." And yeah, we're going to win a Super Bowl eventually, but we we want to be good every year. And we actually got to that point. Uh, in, in six years, we went to the playoffs four times and yes. we didn't win the Super Bowl. We got close. We, we lost playoff games. And so now uh, everybody was a little, I don't want to say spoiled, but they forgot yeah. about the years we didn't win. now it's, oh gosh, we're in the playoffs every year, but that's not good enough. We need to win a Super Bowl. So uh, they let me go. And it was it was hurtful uh, yeah. because I felt like we had done we delivered exactly what we said we were going to deliver a yes. winning team that was going to be good every year. So now uh, I'm fired after our fourth playoff run, yeah. and I had to think more wh- what is God trying to show me in this? Do I need to mm-hmm. stay here in Tampa with maybe All Pro Dad, some of the other charities I'm involved with? Is that what the Lord wants, or is there someplace else to go that? we can kind of continue this. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of days after I got fired, Jim Irsay from the Colts, the owner of the Colts, called. And he said, uh, you know, we're in Indianapolis. We don't have a long history like the Chicago Bears or the, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're trying to connect with our fans. We want to do exactly what you did in Tampa. We want to win the right way. We want our players to be involved in the community. We want to connect with our fans. You're the coach that I want. And I was like, "Wow, that's that's music to my ears because uh, that's telling me that I can get involved in this with both feet. I'm going to have the same goals as the ownership." And it it was great. It was a perfect marriage. I was there seven years. We had some tremendous players, and we did end up winning that Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, you were fired on the 14th of January, and a hire. You were unemployed for eight days. (laughs) You were hired (laughs) on the 22nd of January. Nice job. I remember I got fired in Kansas City on Friday and I had a job on Monday going to Minneapolis. So you just
2: never know what uh, what's in store for you and you just got to trust that everything works out. That's where my Christian faith came in, Morton. I think if I wasn't a believer, I would have been so bitter and upset. How could they fire me after we're winning all these games and this isn't right and maybe I don't want to do this anymore? But I just really felt like, okay, this isn't where the Lord has me. There's something else there. I have to be patient and see what it is. And, and I had to wait for eight days. <laughs> not, not too
0: shabby, my friend. Hey, before we go to the Colts, I just want to get an, uh, your opinion on, on the Bucs today. Can they repeat as Super Bowl champs? I mean, Brady has certainly changed the culture. He's elevated other guys to a level, I feel, that they
2: may not have known about. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I have watched this team, and I've seen them, and I watched them last year. And I normally don't pick the defending champions to repeat because right. it's so hard. But Tom Brady, he does. He has a way of pushing guys, of getting more out of them than they can even think that they have. And he, I don't think he's going to let them let down. And, and so I, I think they have a, a chance. They did one thing that no Super Bowl team has ever done. Guys took less money. All 22 starters came back where they could have made more money other places, but they, they said, hey, let's come back and win another one. And mm-hmm. so I, I think they've got all the elements in place, definitely.
0: So you were unemployed for eight days as we were kind of chuckling about here. And you go, you go to the Colts on the 22nd. Jim Ursa, he appears to be a guy that is aligned with your philosophy. And um, how quickly did you know you had a special? I mean, first of all, you got Peyton Manning, who's in his prime. But how, how quickly did you realize, and maybe you've done your homework prior to that, you had peeked at it, said, hey, man, they, they got a good football team up there. How quickly did it, did you realize that you guys were going to be successful here?
2: Well, they, they had a really, really talented offense. And um, I, I had a chance to work with Bill Polian, who had put together winning teams in Buffalo and yeah. Carolina. So I knew we were going to get really talented players. But what I didn't understand was I'd never had that really great franchise quarterback. Yeah. I didn't realize what a difference he could make. And through my first year, I saw that no matter what the game situation is, Peyton Manning can give us a chance to win. We can be two scores behind with four minutes to go, and we still have a chance because he just is going to be one of those guys who's not going to give up. And he's talented enough to help everybody raise their level of play. So we went through that first season and uh, we went to the playoffs. But I I said, you know what, we have a chance to really, really be special. And um, it, it just happened that way. As we put more talent on the defensive side of the ball, we got to the point where we're winning 12, 13 games a year. And we were in it every single year. Yeah, you do win a Super Bowl against the Bears, and uh, they had to feel pretty good.
0: You got through the Patriots. I know that they were a little bit of a thorn in your side for a couple of years there. How many would you have won if you hadn't been in that division? Or well, that, the
2: Patriots? That, it's crazy because they did. They beat us twice in the playoffs uh, when we had really good teams. Um, you might have won one more. Who knows? Who knows? Got but we, we had a, a great group of guys. And Bill Polin, I'll I'll say this. We had not worked together before. And when I got there, we sat down for about four days straight and just talking football, what do you like? What kind of players are going to be successful for you? What do you Mm -hmm. need in this position? What do you like in that position? And we were on the same page in terms of the kind of guys we wanted. He had worked so long with Marv Levy in Buffalo. He wanted those high character, overachievers, hardworking guys. So I I knew very quickly, we're going to have the right type of players in here. And Mm -hmm. on defense, we started to get them. Yeah, you uh, needed Robert Mathis, Dwight mm-hmm. Braney, uh yeah. guys who just uh, played with high energy and high emotion. Bob Sanders and yes, uh, once we got those guys in place, then it was just a matter of hey, we, we've got to get lucky and have everybody healthy and hot in the playoffs, and and we finally did that in 2006. Do you remember your your first other than relief and were Super Bowl champs? Do you
0: remember what? What your thoughts were right after the final whistle?
2: I'll tell you this, Morton, even leading up to that, uh, there's about a minute and a half left in the game. We're ahead by 12 points. So I I knew we were going to win, and the clock's winding down. And I remember standing on the sideline thinking, how in the world did I get here? Jackson, Michigan, 30,000 people, nobody from my hometown in the NFL, no African-American coaches, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl game before. How in the world did I get here? And I started thinking back to all the people, my high school coach, my college coach, my parents, players that had impacted my life. And I I probably thought of 100 people on the sideline. And I thank all of them at that time. Yeah.
0: That's overwhelming in a way. And it bears mention that you coached against the, the Bears
2: in that Super Bowl. Lovett Smith was on the other side. And so that was historic. It, it really was. And that was another one of my thoughts, too, uh, going back to what I talked about my dad, you know, always saying, what can you do to make the situation better? Well, for a long time, we'd had this lack of African-American head coaches in the NFL. When I finally got the job and, and got there, that was one of my thoughts. What can I do to make the situation better? And I knew one of the things I could do is try to give young, sharp, Intelligent African American coaches a start in the NFL, and so Herm Edwards was on my first staff. Lovey Smith, Jim Caldwell, uh, Mike Tomlin came later on. Leslie Frazier, hiring guys who you knew had ability, giving them an opportunity. So Lovey was on my first staff, came to us from Ohio State, and then right, you know, it's ten years later, and we're coaching in the Super Bowl against each other. It was a, it was really, really gratifying.
0: It was great to see, and uh, it was unique, and I was celebrating with you. Believe me, I really was. I thought it was a watershed moment, and it had taken way too long, uh, way too long. What do you think about the Colts here, uh, this midseason hard knocks thing that they're going to endure? Would you
2: have done that? I'm a little surprised. I'm one that wouldn't like to have the spotlight on us. I'd like to do things kind of under the radar. Yeah, um, I was very fortunate. I was never asked to do hard knocks because I don't think they wanted, they, they wanted drama and things that would sell and we wanted to keep the drama down. So it probably wouldn't <laughs> have been a good mix, but uh, yeah, I never liked yeah. uh, bringing the spotlight on us during the season. I, I'd be a little hesitant if, if that were me.
0: I have to ask you about Aaron Rogers. I've been watching him. He's still slinging the rock. Is he going to be in green Bay next year?
2: I think he will. Um, you know, I, Never see these quarterbacks changing teams after they've been there so long. I thought Peyton Manning would be in Indianapolis forever, and that didn't turn out that way. I thought for sure Tom Brady would be in New New England forever. And again, it didn't turn out that way. So history tells us that there's probably going to be a split. But to me, I think Green Bay was so close last year. Aaron has been there. He's been a fixture. I would try to mend those fences and see what they can do to keep that going and see if they can win another couple of Super Bowls with him in Green Bay. Easier said than done. I mean, there's a lot of
0: stuff there without having going into the gory details. There's a lot of he said, she said, yeah. and a new, new GM, and did I not, you know, was I not informed, and you took a quarterback. And there's just a lot there, Tony, that, you know, you're a smarter man than me when it comes to certainly to try to fix conflict resolution, if you will. Maybe it's just check your ego at the door and realize everybody's getting a nice paycheck and let's all go win.
2: Well, it, it's hard and feelings get hurt. And sometimes you have to massage feelings. Sometimes things happen, as you say, that, that you don't even realize it's a right. problem. And, yeah. Um, that's my transparency. I remember like, oh. a game early on in my Bucs career, we had several defenders hurt and Warren Sapp was one of them. And so... Uh, I had learned a lesson from Coach Knoll, never make excuses, don't worry about anything else. So I started out on Tuesday, you know, saying, hey, we might not have this guy, we might not have this guy, but Marcus Jones can do the job. This guy's going to step in and do the job. I was building my other guys up. And we ended up winning that game. And Warren came to me afterwards and said, you didn't even care about me. You didn't give me a chance to see if I can play or not. You, you don't need me. And I was like, yeah, we need you. But had he not said that, I wouldn't have realized there were some hurt feelings there by something that was totally unintentional. I wasn't trying to right. downgrade his contributions. I was trying to build up the other guys. So right. I had you to go back to- call and say, hey, these guys, we need you back. We need you.
0: <laughs> you many hats when you're head coach, you're human resources, psychologist, dad, mentor, uh, you name it, right? It's uh- A lot of
2: hats, no question. It's a conflicted
0: uh, position to be in, I would imagine, and and a fun one if you can uh, juggle all those balls in the air. Which uh, sounds like you did a pretty good job, and 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 I think history will will say so as well. If you don't mind, I'll finish with uh, a little name game. I'll na- give you a name, and you whatever comes to mind. It can be a a word or a sentence or whatever you think. We kind of t- we talked about Peyton Manning, but I just want you to kind of synopsis cliff note it for me when I say Peyton Manning.
2: I would say preparation, Morton, to a T. He he wanted to be prepared. He didn't want to be surprised by anything. Super Bowl, we're getting ready for the Super Bowl 41, and he's doing all this prep work, watching all the Bears tape during the week before we go down. And he comes to my office, he says, you know, I've been... Studying the 14-day forecast, and it might rain. We ought, maybe ought to practice with wet balls. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, well, you know, we practiced with wet balls, and it rained the whole game. But that that was him in terms of preparation. Leave no stone unturned.
0: I remember talking to Peyton at his after party at uh, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I, he mentioned that to me. He said the reason we won that football, and we didn't fumble, was we practiced with wet balls. Chicago did not. that is
2: in a nutshell
1: (laughs) it's so wild
2: oh my goodness I love it uh Marvin Harrison artist Marvin was just special Mm -hmm. he loved the game he didn't talk he you know he didn't like the interview process any of that all he wanted to do was go out there and catch balls and do his job uh and he wanted to do it as well as anyone Hand-eye coordination, quickness, all the things that you need to be great, as as well as that that determination. So he he was a special player, and I loved watching him.
0: And the newly minted Hall of Famer Edran James, who's got the coolest bust in Canton, Ohio. Man, I love that thing. I sat right down stage and go, that is awesome. What do you think about Edran James?
2: I, I would say unique and original, and and himself. Uh, you you heard his Hall of Fame speech, and, and that was Edran. He, yeah. no errors. You always knew exactly what he was thinking. Uh, he was a great teammate. Um, his offensive linemen loved him. The the defensive players loved him. He he just, uh, talented guy, but wanted to win. Uh, totally, totally wrapped up in winning. Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne, perfect uh, Robin to Batman. Uh, <laughs> I got Marvin you. was always Batman. Marvin always got the attention. And that was okay with Reggie. Uh, He was another one that was just focused in on his job. I'll give you a quick Reggie Wayne story. 2004, we're playing out in Denver. Last game of the year, we've got everything wrapped up. We can't uh, change our playoff position. So I said, we're going to rest the starters. Reggie needed three catches to get a $150,000 bonus. He never said a word to me about it. And after the game, I found out what was in in his contract. I said, why didn't you tell me? I would have put you in. We'd have thrown you three balls and got you out. And he said, it's not important. You said we're going to rest the starters. That's how we're going to do well in the playoffs. Wow. I was like blown away. I felt bad. He didn't say a word. Well, the next week we played, and he set a record for the team called 11 passes for 220 yards in our first-round playoff game. Uh, And he came back to me and said, this was more important. This was the way to do it. Uh, That was Reggie Wayne. Wow, I don't know if I would have done that, man. I know (laughs) I wouldn't have. I mean, you know, Uh, groceries you need to be bought. Um, Dwight Freeney. Dwight was uh, a guy who was determined to overcome the perception about him. People said he was too short. He was too small to play defensive end. He couldn't be a full-time player. He was just going to be a specialty pass rusher. And he wanted to prove everybody wrong. And he played with great effort and determination. That effort really made him uncommon. And uh, he was another one that I I love coaching because of that.
0: Down in Tampa, one of the dominating guys, obviously, Warren Sapp.
2: Warren, uh, personality, Uh, very, very much a personality. Uh, He was a great player a tremendous player, but he was also a leader. And I, I told him when I first got there, I said, if we're going to be a championship team, you have to be Joe Green. You have to be a dominant player, but you also have to buy into what we're doing and you have to lead these guys the right way. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, uh, he he did that. He he became a leader and uh, he was a just an unbelievable athlete for his size and a, a tremendous player. Rondé Barber. Rondé Barber, uh, to me, is the epitome of consistency. Just down in, down out, year in and year out. Toughness, didn't miss games, was always there. Uh, cover the, the best receiver, blitz, make tackles, do anything you ask him to do to win. And to me, he should be a Hall of Famer. I agree with that. Uh, and a guy that just became a Hall of Famer, John Lynch. John was a a, a winner, a tough guy and to me it was big plays. He he had more cause fumbles in the fourth quarter, interceptions on the last drive. People can say, "Well, he didn't have the greatest stats. He didn't, you know, if if there were a stat for big meaningful plays, game-changing plays, that that's where John Lynch led the team every year. He was a hard hitter, man, Ooh. Viol- violent. He he knocked his brother-in-law out. We were playing the Bears. His brother-in-law was a tight end for the Bears. He knocked him out, catching a pass, didn't even look back, just turned and walked back to the huddle. And after the game, I said, John, you knocked Linda's husband, <laughs> I mean Linda's brother, <laughs> out of the game, and you didn't even look back to see if he was okay. <laughs> he, that was him. Lynch didn't flinch. He did not flinch. Uh, Mike Alstad. Mike oh uh, was yeah. attitude, all mm-hmm. attitude. He gave us an identity of, of, of a tough group. Okay. And Um, he was a guy that made those two yard runs that you needed on fourth and two, uh, the, the, the goal line plays, the, the big energizing plays. And he was a great community person. Um, I, I think he helped shape us as a team. No, no doubt about it. Work done. Work done special. Um, he came to, to us, um, after his mother had gotten killed in a, a robbery. She was a police officer. He's watching over his teenage kids. He's the patriarch of the family. And at 21 years old, he wins Rookie of the Year, but he's also guiding these three other teenagers. Uh, he came to me after that year and said, You know, I heard what you said about making a difference. I, I want to make a difference in a tangible way. And he, made the down payment on a home for a single mom and furnished the home and got her all set up. And it was one of the most wonderful things I've ever seen. And I got a note from him not too long ago. He's done 175 of those now. and Incredible. uh, So forget about 10,000 yards and how many rushing touchdowns and rookie of the year and Pro Bowls. uh, His heart just, I I can't even describe it. I think
0: this is the perfect a uh, place to stop, Tony, because, uh, what you represent, what Warwick represents is this selfless, uh, service to others, sacrifice perspective, um, uh, and, um, just the will to go be in a place that's uncomfortable, but to persevere and go to a, a rarefied air of excellence. That's what, what worked in that's, that's what you did. And that's what you're doing. And, uh, you, you're setting a shining example, my friend. And, uh, can't thank you enough for coming on with me.
2: Well, thank you, Morton. It's been great to be with you. You set that example as well. And uh, I I thank you for (laughs) what you've done. And that's what it's all about. I think us using the abilities God has given us to not just play ball, but to make our communities a better place to live. Let's let's be great together and continue that journey. I look forward to it. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Morton. That
0: was a great conversation with Tony Dungy. Of course, I'll have more on him in my game winner at the end of the podcast. But Freeze Pops, before we get into this week's fast five,
1: what do you have for us? Morton, the DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you the Sportsbook National Championship. The SBNC is a weekend long peer to peer tournament where players can buy into the tournament for a $1 million top prize. The tournament is being held at the Envoy Hotel in Weehawken, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. It will begin on Friday, November 5th, and it will end on Sunday, November 7th. Like I mentioned, you got a million bucks up for grabs here. Play against the best sports bettors in the game for bragging rights. The winner of the tournament will be given free tickets to the Championship Series Tournament of Champions, which is an event in January for an opportunity to be crowned as the GOAT. Here's how it works Players can bet on three different sports the NBA, NFL, and college football, with regulatory restrictions applying to college football. There is a $10,000 buy in for the tournament, and players will receive a $5,000 bankroll for the weekend to use to place bets by entering a $5,000 pool, $1 million to first place, with $2 million in guaranteed prizes throughout the weekend. You have to spend a minimum of $1,000 throughout the weekend to be eligible for the prize pool, with no limits to the number of bets you can place. A leaderboard will track all of the bets placed along with outcomes, all bets placed pre-match, no live betting, People will be able to join the tournament throughout the weekend. And as of right now, if you live in New Jersey, you can play online using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So check out the SNBC in Weehawken, New Jersey on Friday, November 5th. Look for more information at DraftKings.com. Let's get into Morton's Fast Five. This is Morton's Fast Five, presented by BetMGM, where we run through the five biggest games of the weekend. We'll give you the Hall of Fame knowledge. You guys place your bets accordingly. A triumphant week for the podcast, Morton.
2: Five and oh, baby.
1: Let's go. Five picks, five winners. Are we officially handicappers now?
0: Absolutely not. But you know what? I'm living vicariously through that 5-0, man, that week. Small wins equal great success, my friend.
1: That's right. 13-12 on the season. Ride the hot hand, people. you got to follow us here. Let's kick things off. For my money, best game of the weekend, Chargers at Baltimore. A rare game of the week type of matchup in the early window. Sunday at 1 p.m. on CBS. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Ravens are three-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, I know you love both of these quarterbacks. What do you think is going to happen on Sunday?
0: Well, first of all, I mean, what an epic comeback by the Ravens. I went to bed at halftime thinking, oh, this game is over. The Colts were up by three touchdowns. I woke up Tuesday morning going, what? Yeah. What? Insane. So- they were down 22-3 to three with like three minutes left in the third quarter. So they ended up winning the game, right? 31-25 in overtime. No, not Justin Tucker. Strangely enough, usually he decides it. And Lamar Jackson set the Ravens record for passing yards in a single game. 442. So I missed history. <laughs> Sleeping.
1: Come on, hey, Martin.
0: I know. With all that being said, I love the Chargers. Love, love, love the Chargers. Great game against the Browns. There was a shootout. They won there, 47-42. Justin Herbert threw for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns. Ravens have a shorter week, but they're at home. So yeah, the Chargers got to travel West Coast to East Coast. But I, I, I like, I like the Chargers a lot. They're kind of like my sleeper team of the AFC, and I am going with them covering
1: and winning. Next up, the Cardinals are at Cleveland Sunday at 4.05 on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, these are two of the best teams in football. This is going to be an awesome game.
0: Cleveland lost a very tough game on the West Coast against the Chargers in that shootout that we just mentioned. They're back home with a dog pound. Right behind them, ready to roll. Arizona's got to travel from the West Coast. Arizona 5-0, and tough games. But they've looked a little suspect lately, I think. They're vulnerable. I like Cleveland in this one. I think the Browns' running game keeps Arizona's offense off the field. And I think that the Browns will win and they'll cover on Sunday
1: next up the bills are at tennessee monday night football on espn according to our friends at BetMGM, the bills are five point favorites at the time of this recording morton your preseason super bowl pick has been absolutely rolling
0: yes yes i love them i love them bills mafia anyone i know you're out there man the bills defense again did a great job of making you know life difficult for Patrick Mahomes, they got so much depth on their defense. They can rotate like eight, nine guys through there, and that is a huge, huge advantage. They're also pretty healthy. You know, they got a complete like Sean McDermott man's got a complete team, and health has been on their side. So Tennessee, they can't keep their receivers on the field. Julio Jones, AJ Brown, 22 catches, one touchdown this season. It's the Derrick Henry show, let's face it, but he's gonna need a little help for sure. Titans up and down all season, they're three and two. The Bills have been nothing but excellent since their weird loss in week one, so I think the Bills whacking continues to roll along in the music city. They win and they cover.
1: Next up, the Packers are at Chicago, Sunday at one o'clock on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Packers are four and a half point favorites at the time of this recording. And Morton, this is a really important game for the NFC North.
0: It is, and it's always fun when the Packers and the Bears get together. Packers are 4-1, and one, Bears are 3-2. and two. Aaron Rodgers going up against the rookie, Justin Fields. He's coming off his first career start and career win. This is a fun chapter in NFL's best rivalry for sure. Mason Crosby, that was a weird game for him. Three missed field goals and a mixed extra point, but he comes back and nails the 49-yarder when it mattered. I have the Packers. All that being said, uh, Rogers is 20-5 and five against the Bears in his career. That's, that's really good freeze. Let's face it, that's good. I know it's Chicago. I know the Bears' defense is pretty good, but I feel like Rogers is going to want to have a statement game after that weird win in Cincy. So I'm taking the Packers and the points.
1: Last game of this week's Fast Five, the Texans are at Indianapolis Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. And I know two 1-in-4 teams going head-to-head isn't exactly headline-making stuff, but you got to hear me out here. According to our friends at BetMGM, the one in four Colts are 10 point favorites at the time of this recording. And Morton, am I crazy for thinking that that number is way too high for a team that's won one game through five weeks? Like how are the Colts a 10 point favorite in any game?
0: Well, if you had asked me after the first half against Baltimore, when they were up by three touchdowns, I would say, oh no, that's, that's not enough points. But then we saw the second half. Well, you saw it, I didn't see it. <laughs> so 10 points is a lot. You know, the, the Houston Texans have played better. They almost beat the Pats. They're one and four though, but they've been scrappy. So I like Houston to cover. I think they lose to Indy, but I think they cover Indianapolis's kicker, Blankenship, he's got a hip injury. So not really sure what's gonna be happening with the kicking situations there. So, again, I have the Texans losing, but they cover the 10 points.
1: There you go. College special on the way out here, Morton. Oh. Your number 10 Michigan State, four-and-a-half-point favorites at 2-3 mm. and three, Indiana. Sparty 6-0 yeah. and oh, and two weeks away from the showdown against number 8 Michigan. How you feeling, buddy?
0: I feel great. I will be at that Michigan game, by the way. Love that with uh with my oldest son who's a senior at michigan state and of course my lovely wife we will be up there with other spartans i like michigan state against indiana and i think they cover
1: love that gotta give a little college special every now and then oh yeah right? gotta go gotta green baby to, go white gotta show some love to the spartans that's it now it's time for morton's game winner
0: What does it take to be uncommon? Discipline and focus on the difficult? Bravery in facing down unpopular choices? Relentless execution of uncompromising standards? All of it, yes, that is what it takes. Who do we find operating in this space and why would they want to be there? The answers lie deep within the soul and spirit of high-performing humans. They're rare and few and far between, but when you meet one of them, oh man, your life changes forever. Meet Tony Dungy, life changer, influencer, believer, coach, mentor, colleague, husband, father and friend. Indeed, an uncommon man. Tony walks the walk daily and does it in such a way that you must pay attention. There's a magnetic style to him. People are drawn to him. He leads by example, and he's our modern version of E.F. Hutton on all matters of life. When Tony Dungy talks, people listen. He does not seek the credit. Instead, he deflects, teaches, and lends perspective with accuracy and poignant wisdom uncommon indeed. By his own admission, his belief that doing the right thing and saying the right words, born from a life of faith and a strong moral compass, has cost him jobs and, likely, millions of dollars. However, his head rests comfortably on his pillow every night knowing that he stood his ground on matters of his priorities. It would have been easy to give the predictable answer in job interviews for head coaching positions. The general manager inquires, Will you treat this job on this team as the most important thing in your life? Coach Dungy answers, I believe it's important, obviously, but it's not even close. Here are my priorities, family and faith, and then we can talk about football and the rest. Uncommon, indeed. Of course, he landed several head coaching jobs and won it all despite the difficult road he chose. It motivates when you see a man who walks life with this type of conviction and unwavering belief in his God, himself, and humanity. We must celebrate the uncommon and rare nature of Tony Dungy and be grateful that he chose to lead, inspire, and break through barriers. Our world needs healing. We need direction and the power of forgiveness to win the day. We need more Tony Dungy.
1: We'll see you next time. Today's episode of Great Dane Nation is brought to you by BetMGM, and they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet $10 to win $200 if your team scores a touchdown. Bet on any NFL money line, and if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. Bet MGM is the official sports book of Great Dane Nation.